2: Erlon, I will never forget it.
4: Ear Hustle, stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it.
2: Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your
1: podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program why the current monkeypox outbreak is spreading faster than in previous years. And also, we'll talk about separating facts from myths about the virus. My guest from Emory University, epidemiologist Dr. Jody Guest joins me in just a moment. Also, it's been banned from schools in 12 states, which means we want to talk about it. That's according to the director behind the documentary, The Neutral Ground. Now, the documentary uses a backdrop of the removal of Confederate monuments in New Orleans to examine the country's relationship with the Confederacy and racism.
3: The UDC put up hundreds of bronze and stone monuments, but they also worked
1: with a much more malleable material, the minds of children. Director and writer and now Emmy-nominated C.J. Hunt stops by with the backstory. All that's coming up, but first this, attorneys for Republican Senator Lindsey Graham, of course of South Carolina, were in federal court in Atlanta this week. They were fighting a subpoena from a local special grand jury looking into alleged efforts to overturn Georgia's 2020 presidential election results. As we hear from Raul Bali, well, a decision could come
0: by the end of the week. U.S. District Judge Lee Martin May directly asked Fulton County prosecutors why they need Senator Graham to testify. They said because some of the facts around the senator's actions after the 2020 elections were in dispute. Those include phone calls Senator Graham made to Georgia elections officials, which included questions about auditing mail-in ballots and throwing out votes where signatures did not match. Lawyers for Graham pushed back, saying the facts are not in dispute and that he's protected by law as a U.S. senator. Judge May said a ruling could come Friday, but more likely on Monday. Raul Bally, WABE News at the federal courthouse in downtown Atlanta.
1: In other news, Governor Brian Kemp is all hyped about record economic development numbers. But as we hear from Emil Moffitt, Kemp declined to join his Democratic rival in calling for expanding gambling, something that could potentially push those dollar figures even higher.
0: The numbers for fiscal year 22 were projected onto a screen behind Governor Kemp and Economic Development Commissioner Pat Wilson Wednesday at the Capitol. $21.2 billion, 51,000 jobs, and 358 new projects.
2: These numbers are both a new
3: high watermark mark and a new challenge, Pat.
0: But one day after Democrat Stacey Abrams said she favored expanded gambling, Kemp said his feelings on the subject were irrelevant.
2: You know, to be able to do that here, it's going to take a constitutional amendment. So it doesn't really
3: matter what the governor thinks. You can't veto a constitutional amendment.
0: While there is bipartisan support to expand gambling in Georgia, it hasn't been enough to get that two-thirds majority needed in the legislature for a voter referendum. Emil Moffitt, WABE News.
1: 200 residents at a soft cab county apartment complex have only 20 days to find places to stay after their leases were unexpectedly terminated. Well, the county is stepping in, but residents wonder if the help will be enough and in time as we hear
4: from Dormaya Vance. Residents of the Forest at Columbia Apartments in Decatur have gained the attention of county officials as they face eviction. They formed a tenant association to stop forced evictions and get help to find new places to live. Sydney Clark and her mother have lived at the public housing complex for about 10 years now. People cannot live dignified lives without safe and affordable housing. The tenants say their landlord, Meridian Management, told them they have until August 31st to leave the complex for renovations. DeKalb County Commissioner Larry Johnson represents District 3, where the complex is located. He told residents last week that the county is going to step in. I gotta get the tenants some help. My goal is to get you some help so you won't be outside. Johnson says there's some money for rental assistance. Residents still wonder how they will afford to move even with the county's help. Pearly Stinson is a resident. She says the issue she's running to is the need to pay three times the rent for a new place to stay. I feel horrible. I worked all this time to retire and now to be homeless. It's very, uh, Some residents say they have already felt the pressure of the new owners, like Hananiah Day. He's been without utilities for a few days now.
1: Uh, I could use, you know,
4: several negative adjectives to describe how I feel. And uh, I don't really have answers. The property owner, Meridian Management, did not respond to repeated attempts for comment. The New Tenants Association has demands for the new owners and the county. They include reinstated leases and temporary relocations while the renovations take place. Meanwhile, the county will hold a meeting on August 15th at the complex to offer the 200 residents available community resources and housing referrals. During my Evans, WABE News. Mm-hmm.
1: And remember all the excitement about Airport City? Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, two Atlanta mayors ago, Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport unveiled plans for a futuristic hotel development next to its domestic terminal. It was supposed to make the world's busiest airport even more efficient and bring in more foot traffic, not necessarily tied to traveling. But as now as we hear from Lily Oppenheimer, well, airport officials say it's not happening.
2: As first reported by the AJC, the long-delayed hotel project, due in part to the pandemic, has been officially canceled by the developer. Atlanta Airport General Manager Balram Biodari confirmed to members of an Atlanta City Council Committee that the hotel plans had failed. The project was supposed to be part of a plan known as Airport City to boost revenue, complete with commercial office space and several hotels on more than 26 acres. Biodari says there are no penalties to the developer, Majestic, for canceling the project. Lily Oppenheimer, WABE News.
1: And Majestic Realty Company officials did not respond to WABE's request for comment. Let's end on a happy note. Say you're a minor league baseball player in the Atlanta Braves organization. You get called up to the big league. You're in Boston playing at Fenway Park. What are you going to do?
0: And now Grissom facing a left-handed pitcher up for the third time in his big league debut. Swing, high-five ball, deep Well, guys, I got to say, the scouts, they know what they're talking about with the talent that we have in the minor leagues.
1: Enough said. Von Grissom with the two-run homer to left field. The first hit of his career. Welcome to the big leagues. I believe there's a spot for you. By the way, the Braves went on to beat the Red Sox 8-4, which is always good. You're listening to Closer Look. Closer <laughs> Look. Closer look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Monkeypox cases are rising quickly. We know that here in the U.S., and yes, that includes Georgia. As of this broadcast, according to the CDC, they list 775 confirmed monkeypox cases here in Georgia. And much like the coronavirus, it's becoming evident that the virus is affecting some groups in the state more than others. More on that in a moment. The, dem- the demand for the monkeypox vaccine is high as well, and to help, Increased supply. The FDA this week announced an emergency use authorization for the treatment. Now the Biden administration, along with other federal public health officials, held a press briefing with updates this week. Here's Bob Fenton, he's the White House National Response Coordinator for Monkey Pox.
0: Just last week we announced that one hundred and fifty thousand vials of vaccine, now totaling seven hundred and fifty thousand doses, will arrive in the United States in September. Two months ahead of schedule. And we will still proceed with the procurement of 5.5 million vials of vaccine, totaling potentially over 25 million doses that we will have in the United States supply on top of what we currently have.
1: So there are still many questions surrounding this virus, but particularly why is the virus spreading faster than in previous years? And also again, we wanna talk about separating facts from myths, because as we know, disinformation is always appealing, and I don't know why, but there's so much to get to as we welcome back to the program from Emory University, Dr. Jody Guest, Professor and Vice Chair of the Department of Epidemiology at the Rollins School of Public Health and at the School of Medicine. Welcome back.
2: Thank you so much, Rose. It's always wonderful to talk to you.
1: Let's begin here. When you go back to May 18th, the first confirmed monkeypox case in the United States that's going to the White House and now, this week, there are more than 10,000 confirmed cases. What do you make? I mean, you could say wow, but what do you make of that?
2: Well, wow, for sure. And we certainly didn't need another epidemic as we're living in a peri pandemic time with COVID 19, but we're in one. And we need to be very clear that this is an epidemic and it is a problem that we all need to be paying attention to.
1: For folks who are listening, saying, okay, I'm already dealing with the coronavirus and all this, and now there's this monkeypox virus, and then, of course, we're going to be going into flu season in just a few months here. So let's begin with some facts here, and and do we know if there have been any confirmed deaths related to monkeypox?
2: There have been, um, but there are very, very few. So we want to be clear that the fatality from this is very low. The suffering from this for people who get it is actually pretty long, for multiple weeks. But it, there are not very many hospitalized cases, and so that's all good news.
1: So that's all good news. Now let's back up to we're seeing because this is monkeypox is not new. It's been around. I think the first. Uh, It was first found in uh, lab research monkeys, I believe, in in Copenhagen. Is that correct?
2: That's right. And that was in the 50s. Right, right. We started seeing it in humans in the 70s. We've had several outbreaks in the United States over the years, but this is by far the biggest and the most globally widespread outbreak that we've seen.
1: We know there are several different types of strains or variants that you want to call it as it relates to when we first all started becoming educated about the coronavirus. Is it the same for the monkey pox virus? Different strains, different different variants?
2: Not really as well known about this because it's been very contained in a couple of areas of the world where we have seen endemic cases of this consistently happen. This feels really different um we've not seen anything like this from monkeypox virus in the past.
1: Well, this is your your world here uh, um Dr. It, it feels different it, it's it's acting different in terms of how it spread. What do you make of all that? What what has science been able to determine?
2: Well, we have a lot of questions still. So, we want to be clear about that that we have mm-hmm. a lot of questions that we need to be answering. But what we're seeing in this particular outbreak is that instead of being transmitted through a lot of respiratory um, uh, connections, which we've seen in past, and a lot of animal to human translation, um, which we've seen in the past. This is more about human to human connection, and this is being very concentrated in sexual networks. Mm-hmm. So that's different.
1: And then also, let's talk about, for our listeners who may not be aware, uh, let's talk then about the these symptoms, and you don't want folks to... Uh, automatically assume they have this virus, obviously, as always. when we have a, a segment about health and wellness. We ask people, we encourage people to consult with their primary care health physician. If they don't have one, they can contact their local Department of Health for more information. But let's just talk about what we know are the no primary symptoms of monkeypox here.
2: Sure. So the, the overriding symptom that most people will have is a rash. It may be as simple as one thing that looks like a mosquito bite or a pimple. And so it can spread from that, but it doesn't always, and that can appear anywhere. It can be in the general areas. It can be on hands, your face. Those are some of the more common places to see it, but it can be anywhere and it can start really mild. Not everyone has a rash, but most people do. It can then translate into a lot of flu-like feeling symptoms, fever, chills, swollen lymph nodes, exhaustion, muscle aches, headaches, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, Not everyone, again, has that. Most people have their rash as their first symptom and then progress from there.
1: We should note that uh, we've been told that this can obviously spread mainly through skin-to-skin contact, but sharing some type of of bedding or or clothing is also risky, folks say.
2: It is. If you are sharing bedding with someone who has a rash, until that rash is fully healed, those um, bedding materials can be a form of risk for you. And so you wanna make sure you're washing your hands, that you are washing those bedding supplies. And people who have rash-like symptoms like that until they get tested should anticipate that it might be monkeypox and make sure they get to a test, but stay very careful and isolated until then. And if you know you have it, you don't wanna share your bedding and other objects like that while you have open rash. And it takes several weeks for that to heal.
1: And I also want to get some clarity on this, doctor, because while all we know and it has been determined that this is overwhelmingly affecting black men, and particularly black men who have sex with other men. But this is not an STI.
2: It is not. And we want to be really clear about that. This is not a gay man's disease. This is not a sexually transmitted infection. It happens to be that really close contact and perhaps even prolonged skin to skin contact is the best way to transmit that. And that is commonly involved in intimate relationships. So that is why it's very sexual network oriented in this particular outbreak.
1: Now, I wanna go back because I played a clip there from Bob Fitton, who's with the White House Task Force there that talked about the, the vaccines because monkeypox cannot be
2: cured, correct? That's correct. We can prevent it, we think, with these vaccines. We are working on that currently because our vaccine limit is much smaller than we would want it to be it is primarily being used in high-risk communities and communities where um, it is almost being used as a um, post-exposure prophylaxis so if you've had contact with someone who has it we want to make sure we get you the vaccine as quickly as possible hopefully within four days of exposure when we have more vaccine we hope we can give it to more groups
1: Well, someone listening says well doctor how do i should i just go ahead and get it or do i need to somehow prove that i am in a a group that's a a high risk population here
2: so there are two ways right now that people can get it and again it's really limited in numbers Mm -hmm. although hopefully expansion will happen quickly um, and be a very rapid expansion in numbers but if you um, have had a close intimate relationship with someone who's recently been diagnosed you are then eligible for the vaccine, or if you are a man who has sex with men and have had multiple sex partners in the past two weeks, that also puts you in a category of um, risk where we would like to get you that vaccine. And so those are the two groups that we're working on right now.
1: If you just joined us, I am in conversation with Dr. Jody Guest. She's an epidemiologist from Emory University, professor and vice chair of the Department of Epidemiology at Rollins School of Public Health and at the School of Medicine. What questions have you been getting from folks? curious
2: um mostly is this like hiv mm-hmm. is this the onset of a new gay men's epidemic and so that that's been a lot of it um that and in addition to that is this the concern about vaccines not only numbers but making sure we're getting them into communities that need them the most so that it's an equitable distribution of the vaccines
1: okay we went through this with COVID 19 mm-hmm. uh, but you would think perhaps there were some lessons learned. But is this a situation where you think that perhaps they want number, when I say they, being the Departments of Health, states, feds, whatever, that perhaps they want to see numbers increase more? Or is it a situation where it's like, let's get it out there for folks who are at risk, they need to get it so that we can somehow keep those numbers down? Because as you know, um, and we could have a whole nother show, in fact, we've had a whole nother show about vaccine hesitancy. Um, Same type of situation here, though
2: except we're not seeing the hesitancy. We're actually seeing the urgency this time. So Hmm. we've got a lot of demand for the vaccine. Um, What we know is in the uh, men who have sex with men community, the uptake of COVID-19 vaccine was extremely high. Hmm. That is a great thing for this particular epidemic. So right now our rate limiting step is actual vaccine. We need more, our demand is super high. Vaccine appointments, are being taken within minutes of them being put out on social media or available on the internet. Um, And so we need a lot more of it. We also need to make sure that access to a computer is not the thing that gets you a vaccine. And so there are very targeted efforts to get to community organizations that serve communities that may not be getting those first appointments and saving vaccines for there.
1: I have a question from a listener who wants to know what research is out there as it relates to monkeypox and children.
2: Mm. So there have been several cases of children. We um, know that they, uh, anyone can get monkeypox. We want to be really clear Mm -hmm. about that. It's currently pretty contained in sexual sexual networks. But if you have really close, intimate contact, a lot of hugging, you share a bed, et cetera, with a child and you have monkeypox, You can give it to anyone. And so it's all about that prolonged skin-to-skin contact with an active rash is where we're seeing that spread happen.
1: You had posted on Twitter the monkeypox myths and facts, and one of them was monkeypox is the next COVID-19. What do you want folks to know about that? That was the myth, by the way.
2: It is a myth, right? So it is not as easily spread as COVID-19. COVID-19 is, you know, respiratory um, spread, it is super easy to give to anyone without knowing it. Um, this one, you need the we think you need the symptoms before you can spread it to someone else, but it takes some prolonged contact. And that is very different from COVID-19.
1: The lessons learned from COVID-19, I've asked that question so many times and now here comes monkeypox. Are you, through your lens as an epidemiologist here, someone who works in this area, how would you, if you want to assess... United States response and in here in Georgia?
2: We were slow on the uptake. There's no doubt that we have been slow in paying attention to this and recognizing how this would spread. That is largely based on previous outbreaks of monkeypox, which have not spread rapidly like this. Mm-hmm. So the exponential growth surprised everyone. The fact that it's been super contained in sexual, sexual networks surprised everyone. Um, but that said, we've now known this for multiple weeks and we need more vaccine and we need to get it as quickly as possible. So the delays have been very unfortunate. Um, I'm not surprised by them, but I wish they had been different.
1: Well then, well, you say you wish it had been different. Want to take that a uh-huh. little further?
2: Well, I think we when we see signs of something coming our way, we need to be more proactive and and we need to be prepared. We need to be predicting these things to happen, kind of worst case scenario, and be prepared to put emergency you know emergency preparedness in place really, really fast. So we need better infrastructure to get vaccines out. We need health departments ready and you know to go with them. and and ours were, but you can't deliver vaccines when you don't have it.
1: Let's talk about the vaccine, because we know that with the with COVID-19, with the vaccine, they had to be stored at a a certain temperature. There were concerns about even from traveling, concerns about how do we get this to rural communities because they have to be stored at a certain temperature. Is that the same for the monkeypox vaccine?
2: It's a lot easier to store this one. There are still some concerns, but they're not very many. Um, With the new emergency use authorization to expand the way we give this vaccine that happened two days ago, Now one vial can um, provide five vaccinations. Hmm. That is fantastic news. However, there is still that if you open a vial, you want five people there ready to take Hmm. it. And so you don't want to um, be wasting any vaccine.
1: And is there a, what's the treatment for it, you know?
2: So TPox is the treatment. And um, currently it is hard to get. There's a lot of paperwork. We must streamline these things in order to be able to have it accessible to everyone who needs it. But there is a treatment.
1: Is, there, is it a US manufacturer? That makes For the it? treatment?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I actually don't know the answer to that. Because the, the vaccination is not. Really? Yeah, the vaccine is um, from Europe. Hmm. Does that surprise you? Not really. Um, but it is also part of the reason why it took a while for it to get here to us.
1: Therein again lies another conversation. Uh, exactly, Dr. guess before I, I let you go, you mentioned you started off by saying this was just it was so complex. So many other unanswered questions. What questions do you hope will be answered, let's say, by the end of the year as it relates to this?
2: Well, I hope that we can figure out how to talk about this without increasing stigma and discrimination. Um, hugely important to be able to do that. We we really need targeted public health and harm reduction to go to particular communities. But at the same time, there's this very tight balance of not wanting certain communities to feel attacked, mm-hmm. called out, um, and told that it's all about them. Mm-hmm. And so that's it. that is a really fine public health messaging system to walk through. Um, we also want everyone to know this matters to everyone. Mm-hmm. Same thing I've been saying about COVID-19 for two and a half years. However, it is currently affecting one community a lot more than other communities.
1: You know, there was so, we kept talking about when, when the coronavirus first emerged we were all saying hey if we can just get to this remember all the talk about herd immunity and then they were like no I don't talk about that anymore and then there was talk about if we can get this percentage of Americans vaccinated by July 4th we'll be here and if we can get this percentage is it the same with monkeypox in terms of determining when we have a hold on this are there some metrics some numbers that we should be looking at
2: that's a great question we're not even there yet we've not gotten that far but this is also not something that we're going to be vaccinating trying to vaccinate everyone Mm -hmm. i really don't think we're going to get to that place with monkeypox we tried to get there with covid19 we're still trying to get there with covid19 and we're currently still unsuccessful but that's not what we're going to be doing with this this is going to be a lot more about if your risk is a certain level we want you to get this this vaccination um, and if you've had exposure, we want you to get it. So we need to treat it a bit differently.
1: You know, I had a friend of mine uh, said to me, he said, you know, Rose, when you think about it, when we were little, you know, all we had to worry about were our routine vaccines. And, and now that we're all old, talking about us, you know, because I just got a note from my doctor, like, hey, Rose, it's time for your shingles shot. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so exactly. <laughs> well, we be poked and you know but you know we're in that that's that's the world we live in right now. This is you know where our health is concerned. So Dr. Jody Guess from Emory University, professor and vice chair of the Department of Epidemiology in Rollins School of Public Health and at the School of Medicine. Thank you so much for taking time. I really appreciate it. Now, should I get my shingle shot? I should probably get it, right? Yes. Because yes, I'm sure. I'm at a <laughs> over a certain age. That w-
2: <laughs> If you're over a certain age, yes, you want to get it for sure. I'm very pro vaccination <laughs> as you might know. Um, but yes, please get one. It will, it will prevent you from getting a lot of things you don't want
1: to have. I will get my shingles. And this is just Rose Scott saying, y'all don't go home and say, honey, Rose says I need to get the, cause we're no, <laughs> just talking about me. Yeah. Thank you so yep. much, doctor. I appreciate it.
2: Thank you, Rose. Always a pleasure. Right. Bye-bye.
1: Music there, producer Daniel picked out. I like that. Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Okay, here we go. Y'all ready? Pull over if you need to. Confederate Monuments. Now, before some of y'all turn me off and wait for fresh air, just hold on. All right? Just just listen. Now, actually, we were going to play a clip from the neutral ground. It's a documentary. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But what I want you to know is that this is just not about Confederate Monuments confederate monuments we're gonna talk about okay we're gonna talk about yes that it's about examining the country's relationship with the confederacy and racism i'm gonna have that clip for you in just a moment but now since its release it's called the neutral ground this film has picked up an emmy nominee for outstanding historical documentary that is cool Uh, but it's also been banned from schools in 12 states which probably cj hunt director and host of the neutral ground was not expecting but we'll talk about it welcome cj i appreciate it thanks rose it's nice to be here First of all, I think your dad is really cool.
3: (laughs) Oh, thank you. I'm going to tell him to get a shingle shot.
1: (laughs) Now, we'll talk more about him a little later, but I want to begin here with something, because you define the neutral ground as it documents New Orleans' fight over monuments and America's troubled romance with the lost cause. I want to stop there, because some of our listeners may not be familiar with that term lost cause. Tell them.
3: Yeah, sure. So, um... One of the first things, you know, we, we've we been traveling for a year and one of the first, you know, we've been trying to f- specifically focus on schools. Um, and one of the first things I asked students is, you know, where have you, when have you heard the term the Civil War was not about slavery? Hmm. And Adults will say middle school and middle schoolers will say last year, you know, that mm. that this is this is a thing that we've all heard at some point. Right. I'm sure even if you think you can remember the teacher and the, the year you were mm-hmm. when it was told to you that the Civil War was not about slavery. So the lost cause is the myth, the sort of, you know, old propaganda campaign that gives us that hit the Civil War wasn't about slavery. Right. That mm-hmm. when you look at the actual documents that the Confederacy wrote down themselves right they were obsessed with slavery teachers you can search this uh, under the google term declaration of causes Mm -hmm. and the thing we say to kids is like america loves breakup letters it's Mm -hmm. like "Ooh, we love our declaration of independence every southern seceding state declared their independence and every one of their declaration of causes is like yo we love slavery so much so the lost cause is just the thing that's like, uh, oh, forget about that. Just think about the soldiers.
1: Well, we have that clip ready. I'm going to play for our listeners. This is actually from a city council meeting in New Orleans.
0: This is not just a conversation about monuments. It is a precursor to the ongoing conversation that we should be having about equity. They're an inanimate object. They're not carrying forward the hatred and the racism and the oppression of our opponents here. If you take out these monuments as nuisances, you really need to nuke the city of New Orleans completely.
1: Now, the the theatrical music there, uh, courtesy of C.J. Hunt, that that wasn't actually at the city council. But, wow. Divided? When you, as you were getting all of this, what was going through your mind? Maybe not lost on you, depending on what you just said.
3: Yeah, I love that opening of that film. And shout out to our composer Sultana Isham, um, who did that score. But you, you know, you're listening to this like grand score and you're seeing the city council meeting torn between, you know, folks who are like, keep the statues in place. We'll forget who we are if you move Robert E. Lee and other, you know, sort of black and more progressive folks who are like, guys, we're the city who invented jazz and gumbo and gave the world culture. Why in a city that's 68% black is our highest point in the city, a man who fought to keep all of us, you know, black folks in chains. So I think that that watch it being a comedian in New Orleans, watching that unfold, part of my mind was like, We got to roast these folks who think that New Orleans needs a a slave owner as its highest point. But then, you know, it started getting darker. And so it started becoming a real documentary.
1: And so, CJ, I want to tackle what you just said, because as a comedian, because your approach to this documentary is through humor, which was appealing to me. Because I think sometimes, and there are some topics, obviously, you know, perhaps you don't want to use humor, but... For someone who's been a journalist for going on almost three decades now and understanding the importance of giving people their space, their platform, and allowing a story to breathe, sometimes humor has to come in there. And that was your approach to this.
3: Yeah, I mean, my background is for the past three years I've been producing on The Daily Show and I've gotten to learn from folks like Roy Wood Jr. who's our EP and mm-hmm. Trevor Noah. And you know, I think folks know from The Daily Show that like humor just has a way of getting behind people's defenses. And denial is always funny to a certain extent, right? Like when you were like... (laughs) Uncle, you, you fell down drunk at Thanksgiving, or, you know, you pooped your pants at the school play. And someone's like, that never happened. I've never pooped my pants in my life. You'd be like, that denial is wild. And so the idea that there was an army that said in all of its documents, we're fighting for slavery. And then they put up 1000s of monuments that they celebrated being like, Yeah, 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 this is for slavery. And then later on, they want to be like, it wasn't even about that. I think fundamentally, that's horrifying, but also that reminds us of like relatives who are dishonest and, and can't admit when they've done bad.
1: Other than educating yourself about the proper microphones to use, CJ, because I thought that was funny. As yeah. someone who works in <laughs> audio is like- Dude. Are you audio heads? I'm yeah. like, come on, come on, man, you should know better than that. But also yeah. too, as you're you're working on a documentary, what was revealing to you as the person who's writing this, who's taking the viewer, the listener through all of this, and you wanted to make sure that, yeah, I'm approaching with humor, but I, I gotta be fair in a sense too you know, or whatever fair looks like, I don't know. Did you, did you have, did you grapple yeah, within yourself I mean, about I mean, how you should have- one of, one, of one of
3: the best compliments we've gotten is this professor who wrote this book called The False Cause, his name is Adam Dombey. Mm-hmm. He was like, a student in my class is really conservative and this is his favorite movie that we've shown in class. Mm-hmm. And the student apparently says, it's because you're not calling Confederate monuments dumb and racist, mm-hmm. you're just showing us what these men said at the time. And when you show people their actual words, I, I think the thing becomes clear when you just ask folks who are neo Confederate, explain to me why this is important to you. It takes them like two minutes until they say out loud, also, slavery wasn't that bad. And then the argument's kind of made in their own
1: words. You know what? I'm so glad you say that, because when I say it, when people email me about, well, why didn't you ask this? And I'm like, did you hear the answer I got before? I don't know what else you need me to do. But okay. I'm going to play a clip from a scene where you're talking with a group of Civil War reenactors.
3: Throughout history, why have white supremacists always been attracted to the Confederacy?
0: Rebel. Rebel. rebels, Just that word right there. Rebel.
3: Everybody wants to be a rebel. So you think white supremacists from KKK forward have been attracted to the Confederacy not because of slavery. Well, it's yeah. because of the
2: word rebel. Yeah, that's, it. that's all it
0: is.
3: It is. I've been seeing it wrong. It.
2: But
0: that's, it's a black and white issue. That makes issue. sense. I don't that care that's how, all it is. It's I don't care where you go. It's a black and white issue. What, the KKK? Hmm.
3: Illuminating, you know, all yeah. this time all this time white supremacists have been drawn to the confederacy you know because of the word rebel if only we knew
1: <laughs> and it's like i'm sending all my like, emails to ucj
3: yeah i mean it's just like i i i appreciate moments like this sure. when people are speaking in their own words because they're like of course rebellion i mean mm-hmm. it's the biggest rebellion there's ever been what other rebellion and it's like sir What about Nat Turner and John Brown? What about the the slave up the German coast uprising of 1811, Mm -hmm. right? That like we have such restrictive gun laws of this country, partly because slaves stayed rebelling and y'all were terrified of it. So this notion that... Rebelli- the rebellious South is defined by white men who fought to keep slaves rather than black people who fought to make themselves free or interracial groups who gave us the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. I think that shows sort of the poverty of, of imagination of what an actual rebel could be.
1: For our listeners who may not be aware, what was the outcome the city council with the vote?
3: Oh, I thought you meant what was the outcome of the Civil War?
4: Oh no! And I was about to be like,
3: "It's still in question, Rose. It is still in question. We will see with this next election." Um, the outcome of the city council was that you know I think folks forget that shortly after um, a gunman took nine lives in mm-hmm. Charleston in in 2015, and we saw the the um, Confederate flag come down in South Carolina, New Orleans was one of the first cities that said, yeah, we're going to do that too. We're going to take down four Confederate monuments, take them down. NOLA convinced the white mayor, Mm -hmm. yo, use your whiteness to get these monuments down. The city council decided four of these are coming down. And then it took them 522 days or 511 days to get this down because contractors' cars were being burned, Mm -hmm. contractors were getting death threats. Mm -hmm. So part of the movie is like, when we decide that we're gonna do a thing by democracy, what is the ways that white supremacy gets in there and makes us wait and sometimes makes it not even happen? It's like all deliberate speed part two.
1: And the clip that you have in there of the the burned out, I think it was a Lamborghini of of a contractor's car. I I believe it was a Lamborghini, correct me if I'm wrong, but that, that scene there was just, wow burning. It's you know, it's also
3: instructive. It's like if you own a Lambo, stop parking it outside. And then also, you know, it's a burned car is like one of the most iconic images of the civil rights movement of, you know, thinking about the freedom rides and thinking about missing civil rights workers. It's like, yeah, that's like one of the oldest plays in the book.
1: CJ, when did you start filming?
3: We started in 2015. And then we kept filming through 2020.
1: And when did you so at that time you felt like, wow, and I know you had a lot because you had (laughs) had a lot. I mean, two about two hours, but you had a lot. Now comes I want to get to the the post-production part. What was that like? Did you have to grapple with yourself? We got to keep this. No, can't keep that.
3: And I mean, it's it's an 82 minute movie that flies by, but it took five years to make. Right. Mm -hmm. And what I like about it. Is we're showing how quickly the world changes so folks come into the movie and and in 2015 most of us hadn't seen a monument removal Mm -hmm. and by the end of the movie most of us were used to monuments just being tossed in the ocean in the summer of 2020 so part of the challenge was like, when do we end this? We wanted to end it in 2017, in the summer of 2017. But then I went to Charlottesville, Mm -hmm. and I was there on August 11th and 12th to see that horror. So then it's like, we can't end it there. And then we wanted to end it in 2020. And then George Floyd was murdered. And Mm -hmm. it's like, we can't end it here. Mm -hmm. So that was like talking to Roy Wood Jr., our EP, and Darcy McKinnon, our producer about like, when when you start telling a story about the rise of white supremacy, when do you stop? if mm-hmm. white supremacy continues to rise I, and I think that was the hardest part
1: and as you've said this is this goes beyond just talking about confederate monuments this is really about examining the nation's relationship with the Confederacy and race and racism, you tie in some personal stories for this documentary. I'm gonna play a clip here because there's a scene with your father. I told you when we, we you know we opened up, I love you dad. He's talking about visiting your quote, overwhelmingly white school on Martin's King Junior Day. Let's take a listen.
3: When I came to your school as a guest on Martin Luther King Day and talked about lynching let's pause for you a second. Were horrified. Let's just pause for a second. What would be an appropriate topic for Martin Luther King Day speech? The triumph of diversity, civil rights. You came to my school and told all the white kids that someone in their family had probably lynched someone. Yeah. I
0: wanted you to know. I wanted you to understand because you didn't understand you were black. So I
3: had to force this. But it's something to shock you into thinking. It's something you were black, accept your blackness, see the history of your blackness. See what these white people have done to us that's it i don't think it was about showing me that i was black it was about showing me about the violence of white supremacy yeah and the lie about erasing it right that the thing that you would get most animated about is not that this happened but this happened and nobody talks about it and nobody's willing to talk about it, which is why i talked about it at your Luther well, king day celebration wow
1: did you contemplate keeping that out
3: is that a common experience <laughs> do, is that do a lot of listeners have their dad come in for the Martin Luther King Day speech and tell the white kids that their parents may have lynched someone
1: yeah uh, no, so far you're the only one I know but I know my dad also challenged the uh, educators at my high school when I they got mad because I asked about having more black authors in our library and the lady gave me a autobiography of Dorothy Dandridge I'm like this is it that's what the film is about,
3: right? That it's like, that scene is in there and most people respond to that scene. Like, I think some white viewers are like, wow, your dad's intense, but I think most black viewers see that and they're like, that's my dad or that's my mom or that's someone in our family, right? That that if we've never been reflected in the educational system, Mm -hmm. black parents have to also be part-time substitute teacher for Mm -hmm. their own kids to teach them what happened in history, right? Mm-hmm. So like, I grew up in the white suburbs with a loving dad, and a loving white stepmom and and a mostly white family and mostly white schools. So part of history is personal, right? It's me not wanting to be a black and brown kid. And just being like, let me have a white bowl cut, like all these other classmates. And my dad trying to be like, this is who you are. And this mm-hmm. is who we've been. And this is what the country has been. And I think that's part of not only does that hit personally now, but I think that's helps us see the debate about critical race theory differently now because you know, I think some conservatives wanna frame it as, mm-hmm. it's indoctrinating our kids to teach them about race. And I think black parents are like, we don't have an option for when our kids learn about race. Mm-hmm. We can't pass laws to say, don't talk about race because my kid's gonna find out about race from not being in the books or from police pulling him over. So I think that scene helps us be like, dang, these laws that are being passed across the country and that has just been passed in Georgia, while you, you might think that that's keeping white kids safe, what does that mean that, that by law, black and brown kids cannot see their own past in school?
1: Mm-hmm. If you just join us, I'm in conversation with C.J. Hunt, director and host of The Neutral Ground. It's a documentary, now Emmy-nominated for Outstanding Historical Documentary. And I want to talk about this because your team has noted that uh, in at least 12 states, some school I mean, districts. now it's yeah. over now it's over 17. oh you're moving <laughs> on up
3: yeah yeah if you want to find out the exact number you can check out aapf.org uh that's the african-american policy forum but yeah. like every interview i do we have to change the number because these states are keep they have banned
1: laws. your movie welcome to big time cj <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when did you first you. hear about this were you shocked <sighs>
3: I mean, we need a word, Rose, for like the things that shock you but shouldn't. You know what I mean? Where you're yeah. like, they did what? Oh, of course they did that. The you know, we made a whole, we spent five years making a movie about how women, hundred, how white women, 100 years ago, the United Daughters of the Confederacy got into schools and banned any textbook that portrayed slavery as negative. Mm-hmm. We thought we would be talking about that. And then we bring the movie out in, you know, we debuted with Nicole Hannah-Jones and Roy Wood Jr. in in June at Tribeca in 2021. And that was the year that we start seeing all these laws getting passed, saying you cannot teach kids that America's structurally racist. You cannot call America, or in your case, America or Georgia fundamentally or structurally racist. You cannot teach kids that implicit bias exists. And the big line that all of these laws and have in over 17 states is you cannot teach children anything that makes them feel guilt, discomfort, or shame. Rose, I don't know about you, but how do you teach the civil rights movement without making anyone feel uncomfortable, right? Like how do you teach anything that Georgia is famous for, right? Like the people that we celebrate in February, how do you teach what any of those people meant if if you cannot engage in conversations that are uncomfortable in classrooms? And I think that's why parents and teachers are pushing back on this being like, You're firing public school teachers for teaching people the truth about history um, and these laws frame it as a type of discrimination.
1: And you know, I always, when I have these conversations and I say, you know, uncomfortable, how do you think folks were about comfortability, what, 50, 60, 70 years ago? I mean, just, anyway. I mean, when Um, you say these are all connected,
3: that's (laughs) it. Because it's like the film is just saying, can we be honest about what happened? And when folks were trying to take down Lee monuments, what did people say? They said, don't take down a monument. Let's have a conversation about the good, bad, and the ugly. And now you're like, all right, let's talk about the bad. And Georgia Senate President Butch Miller himself said, we can teach US history the good, bad, and the ugly without dividing kids. We must teach patriotism and that America is good. And it's like, you're passing laws saying that teachers are indoctrinating. Yet you've just made it the law that teachers have to teach that America is good. Like, look up the definition of indoctrination.
1: Have you heard from educators who did show the film in their classrooms? And would you? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: As I said, we've been, we've been. I've personally been in forty classrooms this year, and then we get messages from educators all the time. Um, We have lesson plans up at NeutralGroundFilm.com, but I think teachers really rock with this film because it hits students right that in seventh or eighth grade, that's the moment you're like, wait, have people been lying to me? <laughs> so then when you see a film that says, yes, people have been lying and sometimes a lie can be hardened into a statue and sometimes a lie can be hardened into a law and sometimes it can be repeated in a textbook that this war wasn't about slavery and, and slavery wasn't that bad. And I think that hits students developmentally at a right place where they're like, dang, like we can dig up the truth about the past. Democracy requires us to go back and dig up some stuff. A politician is is hoping we forgot.
1: CJ, when you go back to 2015, when you all started, by the way, how big was your your film crew? I mean, in
3: 2015, we had um, like four people. It was me, Jeremy Bloom, Pavel Hanninen, and Darcy McKinnon.
1: Mm-hmm. And then by 2020, how many did you have?
3: I mean I'm I'm sure by 2020 we had you know over over 20 folks working mm-hmm. as as full crew on the film.
1: At some point if it did happen, when did you realize, you know what? I've got something here. I knew I had something here, but now I know that this is going to be pretty impactful.
3: When we started making the film Rose, we thought Hillary Clinton was going to be the next president. <laughs> remember? Get in the time machine with me and remember 2015, right? We thought Donald Trump was a joke. We thought Hillary Clinton was gonna be the next president. And then most of the world had not seen a single Confederate monument come down. So I think the moment that we realized it was gonna be a film is when, you know, New Orleans is celebrating cause take them down NOLA has has pushed through this legislation and there's been a democratic decision. We're moving forward as a diverse city. We're gonna have better symbols of who we are. And that's stopped by lawsuits and vigilante violence. like that's not only that the story gets real, that's also like the oldest story in the book. So that's when we started being like, we have to actually uncover what did the confederacy say? How did they rewrite the story? How does a losing army that was open about white supremacy in its all of its documents? How do they get 1000s of monuments yet we can't name another losing army that got that many monuments in the world. So it started to become a mystery at that point.
1: What's next for you? Another documentary?
3: Yeah, yeah. What's what's next for me is you know we're continuing the neutral groundwork and and screening the film in communities that are like, hey, you know we're 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 in Georgia and we want you know folks like um, like um, Stone Mountain Action Coalition uh, mm-hmm. and Maymoon, and Maymuna Freeman are like, yo, why do why do Georgia uh, why do Georgia's residents pay to upkeep Stone Mountain, right? one how did slave owners get their faces carved on a mountain in the first place and two why are public dollars going to keep that up well let me ask you right? what do you so, think
1: well what do you think should be done with, with stone mountain with the i mean it's not like you can just take it down i mean not you know what i'm saying you can't just like take a, a monkey wrench and then you know we're gonna take some bolts out and then it comes down i mean what do you suggest yeah
3: i mean I, a lot of organizers like maymuna freeman are like yo just stop upkeeping this right that like
1: you're saying let the cut zoo just take over <laughs> is that what you're saying I'm not saying that
3: that's what <laughs> organizers are saying yeah. that like this is a mountain right yeah. like you this is a man-made installation on a mountain and every confederate monument whether we keep it up or take it down who you think is paying the person who goes out and power washes general lee's nose right that's that's majority black and brown people paying for that so i think the people who want to keep it up are like, we can't dynamite it. And people who are actually working on it are like, there's tons of options that you can do. So you coming so to Georgia, that's your, next
1: doc- that's, that's your next documentary You're coming to Georgia to tackle Stonewall? We've
3: been Yeah, we've been to Georgia. Yeah. It, I, I think the, I think the 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 next film is about critical race theory yeah. and why, why people are passing laws to make our kids books smaller, mm-hmm. why people are passing laws that, that make white discomfort, Uh, the chief thing and so important that black kids can't learn their own history. How how does fear how does stoking fear of white parents sweep people to governorships, right? Like that is the that's the sort of new confederacy that we're following in this
0: film.
1: What was the budget for the neutral ground? I imagine you got a little bit more for the next one.
3: I mean we're hoping we're hoping that it can be a little bit more. If if you are out there and you are, you know, a, a millionaire who is into telling hard <laughs> stories about the past, holler at me. Here you, you go. Well, I love it when folks. get dot com <laughs>
1: <laughs> and
3: if you're out there twirling your mustache in your hot air balloon <laughs> thinking how can I make great anti racist film? Um uh, my name is CJ Hunt.
1: And uh you gonna go to the Emmys? You gonna take Dad? Uh, yeah
3: yeah 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 we're gonna we're gonna go to the emmys i mean should i take if i take dad he's gonna upstage every i i love talking to you every single interview begins with cj hunt director of the neutral ground let's talk about About your your dad dad. so handsome (laughs) such a zaddy so woke and i'm like okay guys can we talk about me (laughs)
1: Well, we spent most of it talking about you but your dad he kind of reminds me of my dad a little bit so he's a cool dude you know what i'm saying yeah
3: <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: listeners let that let that be your main takeaway
3: <laughs> cj's dad is very cool cj's dad is a cool dude
1: cj hunt director writer the neutral ground the film it's a documentary thank you so much for taking the time uh if congratulations on the emmy E two again and thank if folks want to be able to find this where can they can they view it
3: Um, they can view it at neutralgroundfilm.com and if y'all are in Georgia and want to see some great work being done taking down monuments and putting sort of beautiful powerful things up in their place you can check out the beacon hill uh black alliance for human rights at beaconhillblackalliance.org it's like not enough just to be like we gotta get the slave owners down i think the more interesting question is what do we put up in its place and i know beacon hill black alliance is working on that
1: cj good conversation i enjoyed it thank you so much i appreciate it thanks rose And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are LaShawn Hudson, Daniel Razel, and Pat St. Clair. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, because y'all have been sending them all day anyway. Rose at WABE.org, and I appreciate your emails. Also, if you missed any of today's show, it's online at WABE.org slash Closer Look. And, of course, Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m., as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. And remember, stay tuned to 90.1. WABE from Atlanta, I'm Rose Scott.